Hey, this is Julio. Hey, this is Steve. Before the podcast starts, we want to welcome and give you the opportunity to support our ministry by visiting our website at www.bridgemenlaredo.org. Scroll down to the bottom of any page and you'll find the PayPal donate button. Bridge Ministries exists to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and to equip people to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. If you would like to help us in our mission of making affordable or free Bibles and Christian books available, and also to check out the orphanage that we support, visit our website. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. First Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. This is Bridge Radio, episode number 23. And we're back, coming out of the great state of Texas, preaching the gospel fearlessly mm-hmm. and faithfully. And I'm your host, Julio Omad Rodriguez, as always. And across from me, we got the boss. How you doing, all? This is Steve Denhartug. Appreciate uh, you all taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited to do another podcast. We got a guest for you today, a brother in Christ who has um, who has influenced me a lot. And actually, he's going to be speaking Absolutely. at in Laredo's first apologetic conference that we're going to be holding at uh, Texas A and M International University. And you bet. so, looking forward to that. Yeah, for those who are in Texas. Please feel free to make your way down here uh, May 26th in Laredo, Texas. Again, it's going to be at Tammy U. Tickets are a mere five bucks, right? Yeah. And I believe after the 19th of May, they're going to shoot up to $10. So, yeah, get your tickets early. Um, Like and share this podcast as well and let people know that the conference is, is coming on. We actually, when we posted the the banner i mean the the flyer on social media we actually got a lot of good feedback oh absolutely it's gonna be good yeah a lot of people are excited um i heard that well at least someone commented that they were going to be buying tickets for their youth right so um the youth group so yeah we're we're, we're definitely excited the our, our speakers are going to be steve paulson who's a friend of the ministry and a friend of our church uh he's a uh, physics teacher yeah locally here yeah in laredo and he loves apologetics he loves theology and we're having eli elia from uh, a Elia, <laughs> however you probably get it probably pronounce his <laughs> last name <laughs> just ask him i always get his last name wrong man uh anyway he's from long island um he's gonna be making a trip down for the conference and we also got matt slick uh, founder of karm.org and he's all, as well the de- debater as well we had him on a podcast for the five solos and our guest who i'm going to introduce in just a moment but he's going to be with us as well and we're just super excited to have the opportunity to uh share the gospel and you just bet. as i said in first peter three sixteen, uh all christians should be able to worship the lord god with their mind and give a reason for the hope that is in them so yes um may 26th may 26th from 8 30 till three o'clock yeah 8 30 to three o'clock so it's going to be very fun um so before we bounce into the podcast uh, we got some free books by pnr and we want to give an opportunity for people to uh, get this book for free. If you drop us a five-star review, 
um, on the iTunes uh, for this week, for this podcast. We will pick out somebody and ship them a free book by Richard B. Ramsey, The Certainty of the Faith, Apologetics in an Uncertain World. And uh, we have people like John Frame, uh, Rod Mays, and uh, and, and others really uh, giving uh, some good feedback with yeah. this book. Yeah. So again, on the topic of apologetics, and so we want to just share that. Um, are you ready, Steve? You betcha. All right. So our guest today is a brother in Christ. Uh, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, he's uh, he's been a huge influence on me. I came across him through his debate uh, against Matt Dillahunty on the soul, and I remember last year... Uh, I just reached out to him and asked him a couple of questions and invited him to be on the podcast. He's a fearless debater. Um, he's always up for the challenge to debate atheists, even Christian brothers in theology and, and, and the way we Christians should engage in apologetics. Um, and, and I just, I highly respect him. Um, and, and again, he's been a blessing to me. I'd like to welcome Eric Hernandez back again on the program. How's it going, brother? Good. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. You got it. Yeah. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being on again to, today, Eric. So, Eric, um, are you excited for the uh, the conference? It's going to be oh, absolutely. I'm. Uh, I, I as much as I enjoy doing debates and things of that nature, I very much enjoy uh, equipping the body. I'm a firm believer in, uh, of course, what Scripture teaches as far as the fivefold ministry. And and you know, I every time I step behind the pulpit, I I tell whoever I'm speaking to, if if I have not equipped you by the end of this uh, sermon or session or class, and I have not done my job because our job as ministers is to equip and if you're not equipping you're not following the biblical mandate to do so amen amen yeah and so have you ever done a conference like this before man uh, i've been part of conferences uh i've taught apologetics uh within conferences but not part of an official apologetic solely apologetic conference um okay. i've done seminars myself while i've gone to uh, churches and done like weekend seminars where it's like a friday through sunday class okay. and there's about six classes and we go through the apologetic course that i developed hmm. cool great well man we got to get you to come down to do something like that here at bridge absolutely <laughs> just a little seminar yeah all right so um just for our listeners uh for those who don't know eric just give a little testimony about yourself and also how what made you want to just do apologetics engage in debate and, and study philosophy and 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 this 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 christian apologetics deal that we're going to be talking about today yeah absolutely um well i, I grew up a, i grew up in church uh, i i could say i've been a christian my whole life uh, i've never uh, had any kind of testimony where i was a you know gangbanger or drugs or anything like that and uh, <laughs> funny was growing up you know i kind of figured if you want to be a minister you have to have that kind of testimony and yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get into drugs and become a gangbanger to, <laughs> to have that testimony. That's funny. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, but to not minimize those testimonies. Also, uh, getting older and you know going to college, I realized that when I looked in, like for example, my youth group, I found a lot of a uh, a lot of emotionally driven Christianity, which which was very flaky. It wouldn't last long. Uh, for example, we'd go to youth camp and. Everybody would come back fired up, and that would last for about two or three weeks. And what I what I came to see a pattern of is that it was that they associated their salvation or relationship with God with with a mere emotion or feeling. Mm. So yeah. that's to say that when the feeling or emotion left in their mind, so did their salvation or their relationship. And mm. thus, you have mm. uh, young people answering the altar call every Sunday morning to be saved. Right. Um, and, and and for me, it was just something wasn't wasn't right. And, and it, it would seem that if God did exist, there was something to ground 
my relationship and salvation on much more than just my feelings and emotions. Right. Um, yeah. and, and in this, I begin to, to start to ask certain questions. <clears throat> um, as much as I appreciate the people God put in my life, uh, one mm-hmm. thing I've learned is that some people God puts in your life uh, is not to necessarily uh, show good examples, but to show what not to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think yeah. that's just as valuable as showing you what to do. For example, uh, I had a, a couple of youth pastors who, when I would begin to ask certain questions, uh, uh, they would give me a cliche answer. And I'd say, okay, well, well, what about this? And what about that? And this wasn't me being rebellious. Uh, and it was often interpreted that way. It was just right. Eric. He's just, he's just being contradictory. He's just trying to, you know, stir the pot. But I, I legitimately had these questions. And, yeah. you know, at a few points I was told, look, just don't ask any more questions. Or, or you yeah. know what? Eric can no longer ask questions or, well, that's not important <laughs> or well, this and that. And it just kind of, it bothered me because not only thinking to myself, if I as a Christian have these questions and surely someone of another belief system or atheistic worldview would have these questions. And if yeah. my own youth pastor can't give me the answers, then what are we doing here? Yeah. Or is this just a place for Christians to come and, and, and feel good? Well, then well, how are we to reach non-Christians? I mean, is that not mm-hmm. the point? is to reach the non-believers. So that's always been my heart, um, right. is to reach not just the people who are already saved, uh, which is why when I'm invited to do any kind of debates, if it's a public event where, you know, you're invited and you've got, you know, hundreds of people attending and there's money put into it, you know, put me with an atheist. Uh, as much as I enjoy theological discussions, I'd rather do that over the radio, over the air, something like that, um, uh, unless something else really important comes up but for the most part put me with an atheist because i want to reach those people i want to reach mm-hmm. the people the unchurched the mm-hmm. people that aren't uh, coming to church regularly mm-hmm. um but <clears throat> to continue on with the response uh my freshman year of college and even before then uh you know like i said i'd begin to ask questions i was put in uh, leadership positions at my church and at my high school i was the president of christ on campus and and we did a lot of great work there but mm-hmm. when i got to college um uh, long story short, I, I took a, my first philosophy class. Uh, I was interested in psychology and philosophy, and uh, honestly, I took philosophy because I needed to, to fill up an elective. Uh, it was required to take a certain amount of electives. So Little I figured did you know. I could, <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, you know, I, I figured, uh, well, I could take this class. You know, maybe I can skip it a few times. You know, yeah, it's nothing sure. big. And it'll be fine. Um, and then I walk in, and, and, and just the questions that were thrown, not at me, but at the class in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really appreciate my first philosophy professor. He was very neutral in the sense that he wasn't trying to convert anybody or patronize anybody. Mm-hmm. He was very honest and reasonable, and at least I thought so. Um, and I remember in my youth group, uh, one of my youth leaders once said, if someone asks you to prove to them that God exists, all you have to tell them is to prove to me he doesn't. And I thought, wow, that's profound. <laughs> and then when I got to my philosophy class, uh, I remember one of the first uh, week or so of the class, we talked about what's called the burden of proof. Uh-huh. And what the burden of proof is essentially that if you make a truth claim, if you claim to know something or believe something, mm-hmm. then it is up to you to bear the burden to prove that very claim. Yeah. And, in res- and, and as an example, he said, so for example... If someone here believes in God mm-hmm. and someone asks you to give them proof or evidence or reasons for why you believe that, which is what the Bible tells us to do, mm-hmm. then yeah. you cannot respond by saying, well, prove to me God does not exist because you are not bearing the burden of proof which you have put upon yourself. And I was just like, wow, 
<laughs> I just felt like <laughs> my entire one, you know, one bullet in the chamber of apologetic <laughs> arsenal just collapsed. Right. Um, and then I just was kind of more open-minded. So again, to be brief, because I could talk forever, you can you can ask my wife. Um, <laughs> after that first class, I was really really intrigued. I was really my my, my gears were turning in my mind, and I wanted to take a second course in philosophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was looking, um, I had a few of my peers tell me, "Whatever you do, do not take Professor Pena." And I don't mind mentioning his name because, as I'll share later, we actually did a debate, he and I. Um, and they said, don't take his class because he's very antagonistic towards religion, especially Christianity. He's going to try to make you lose your faith and doubt your belief. And if you take his class, you could very well lose your Christianity. You can lose your faith in God. Hmm. And I said, that, that's great. Sign me up. When do we start? <laughs> because in my mind... I would have loved to take In that my class. mind, yeah. <laughs> it was... If, if God exists, I, I've always believed that all truth comes from God. It's grounded in God in one way or another. Exactly. So if God exists, and nothing that is true should contradict what God is, says, or does, mm-hmm. because all truth comes from God. So why should I be afraid to learn if what I learn could only strengthen my belief or faith in God? And if what I believe is not true, then I need to know this. Right. Yeah. First day in class, he says uh, something to the effect, we're going to be talking about a lot of controversial things. He said, we're even going to be talking about things that might contradict what you believe. But then he said something that really resonated with me. He said, however, I want you to know that when you come to a fork in the road where your beliefs do not, do not line up re- with reality, and if you come to find that one of your beliefs are not true or false, then you have two options. You can ignore the truth and keep believing in a lie, or you can acknowledge reality, acknowledge the truth, and change your beliefs. Hmm. However, he said, whatever you choose to do, just know that truth and reality does not care about your feelings. Mm. And to that, I said, yes and amen. Yeah. And, and from there, I mean, you know, it, as they say, that the, the, it's history from there. Uh, one more thing. I remember one class in particular, he comes in, <clears throat> and he would always sit down when he lectured. He, wouldn't, he would rarely stand up. He'd sit down on his desk sometimes prop his feet up on his desk and just kind of really, you know, laid back kind of philosopher, very uh, Rico Suave kind of guy, very smart, intelligent, brilliant guy. Uh-huh. And he uh, mimicked holding up a, a, a pill. And he said, suppose I have an antidepressant medication, which if I'm not mistaken, he took, I, I don't want to say for sure, so don't quote me on that, but, mm-hmm. um, and that's not to minimize anything of, 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 of who or what he is. I mean, uh, you know, I might take myself, take a medication for ADHD, but he, held up uh, and then holding up a pill and he said religion wants us to believe that that there exists some kind of a soul that's immaterial and allegedly our emotions and our moods are in our soul he said however if i can take this tiny little pill which is physical and it affect my mood my emotions my my character he goes then how is it that something small and physical can affect something immaterial Hmm. he said well perhaps the, the answer is there is no soul, because when you look at our body, all you see is, is hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, all the elements, and it's all physical, up and down, and there is no soul. There is no afterlife. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, it really, really struck me, because first of all, I had never heard anyone question the belief in the soul. I thought that was just a given, uh, you know, right. um, maybe me being naive. And when he said that, I had never, not only had I never heard anyone question the soul, I had never heard anyone defend or give an argument for the soul. 
Hmm. And it was because of that, I really began to think, okay, here are some possible defeaters to what I believe. Mm-hmm. What? Where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. And and again, for the sake of brevity, I'd say now the topic of the soul, consciousness, free will is probably one of my more well-suited areas of apologetics that I've really studied and dug my feet into with men like J.P. Moreland, um, even Alvin Plantinga, Richard Swinburne, and, and mm-hmm. things like that where... As you said earlier in the show, you saw my one of my debates was with Matt Dillahunty, uh-huh. and it was on the uh, issue of whether or not the soul exists. Mm-hmm. And so now we're years later from that, and so now, how, how many atheists have you debated, or how many debates have you engaged in in total? Um, <laughs> uh, formal or informal? Both, all. <laughs> oh, gosh, I have no idea. I've lost count. And um, <laughs> I, I guess public debates, quite a few. I, I, um at least a dozen, uh-huh. and, and and these are, you know, either at universities or in churches or in any kind of public arena where it's formal, up on stage, informal, um, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Uh, uh, but but just, just to make the point, you know, mm-hmm. um, to anyone listening, any aspiring apologist, yeah. I would definitely say, you know, don't don't wake up in the morning and look for a debate. Right. Uh, that, that's, uh, now if you want to, now here's what I did in the beginning, I would in a sense, wake up in the morning, and I would see certain comments on Facebook or go into certain atheist pages, and I would just like to, for lack of a better word, uh, practice or try out what I had or had learned or what I believed, and I wouldn't do it in a sense to, quote, win an argument and as if I have a chalkboard behind my desk and I, you know, tally up every time I win. It was <laughs> right. more to see what are the... What are the objections to this? What, what would right. an atheist say what to this? What do they believe? You know, I would hear uh, an argument by Willem and Craig um, and I was like, this is incredible. How would you defeat this argument? I would present it to an atheist. Mm-hmm. And, an, and to my dismay, I wouldn't hear any really, any real responses. I would hear just something like, well, you just believe in a, in a magical uh, uh, man in the sky. And I said, <laughs> uh, um, okay, uh, okay, but, but what do you say about this right here, what I just said? Well, well you're just brainwashed by, by your religion. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, I still want an answer to this. And it was just kind of repetitive. So at this point, I don't even uh, really engage much on, on Facebook with many atheists. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but, but I say that to say, as, as Christians, we want to, as the greatest commandment says, love God with all our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. Mm-hmm. That word mind literally means your intellect, your, your mm-hmm. faculty of understanding. Yeah. So if we're to fulfill the greatest commandment, that Christ said was the greatest commandment. Part of that commandment is to love God with your mind, and that includes uh, uh, digging deep, learning, educating yourself, mm-hmm. expanding your horizon when it comes to your knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And as I've heard J.P. Moreland say, whether you're lifting up your book, uh, a book to read or lifting up your hands, these are both signs of worshiping and loving God right. with all your being. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in these instances, we want to... Uh, reflect this commandment that Christ gave us, which He Himself also fulfilled. Yeah, Amen, Amen. Amen. Sorry, guys, on the who are listening on the podcast. I had a phone call. It was you're probably going to hear some beeps on the podcast. <laughs> I had a phone call coming in, um, but no, no, no. That's that's good stuff. No, I, I just wanted I wanted to point out because I mean, little little did you know, right? That that fo- that philosophy class that um, God was going to use that as a means to um, engage in debate and and uh, and also too, you're you're gonna you're writing a book right now. Um, can, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that that book? <coughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, again, trying to be brief for the sake of time, mm-hmm. uh, as 
to go back to the, the testament really quick, what, what really got me into this was um, in that first class of philosophy, mm-hmm. I remember there was a, a, my philosophy professor said, uh, you know, once a month we do a roundtable discussion. And what it is is, you know, it's after hours where you come to this event. We have about four people up on the stage and we discuss a certain topic. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you come to this and do a, a, a paper on it, you get extra credit. Okay. Well, being a freshman at that time, I needed the extra credit. Um, <laughs> and it happened to be a discussion on religion. So, mm. uh, it, again, long story short, there's four people up there. It was a Christian, a Buddhist, a, a Muslim, and then an atheist. And they would ask certain questions. At the end of the day, I found that every time a question was given, the Christian would give a, a, a cliche Christian answer. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to the atheist, which was going to be my second professor that I was going to say, when I got to his answer, he would just pretty much make the Christian look stupid. And yeah. I thought to myself, this Christian is not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and this wasn't a Christian apologist. It, it was, mm-hmm. you know, a retired 40-year missionary. Right. And uh, so, you know, I don't blame the person. But at the same time, I thought to myself, someone had to do something. And I remember my friend telling me, well, why don't you do it? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, time out. I, I, that, that's not what I meant. And mm-hmm. my friend said, well, do you think you could do better than this Christian did? I said, yeah, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, then why not? That began my studies in apologetics. Um, uh-huh. and, and, and a few years later, I ended up debating my former professor one-on-one. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie God's Not Dead. Uh, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, not too fond of the movie either. Anyways, uh, th- that kind of began my wealth turning. Mm-hmm. Now, as I began to engage with atheists, get into the book... As I said earlier, I would find every time I would talk with an atheist, there was really no substance in their responses or their arguments. Mm -hmm. And going back to the burden of proof, as I mentioned earlier, the burden of proof is not just for people who claim positive beliefs, but it's also for people who claim uh, negative beliefs. And by Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I do not believe in X or I believe X does not exist. So if I say I believe X, I am making a truth claim. And if I say, I believe that X does not exist, I am still making a truth claim, which yeah. means I equally bear a burden of proof. Uh-huh. So if the atheist says God does not exist and he believes that, then he still has to bear a burden of proof. Yeah. So what I, what I found in my engagements, rather than take the uh, uh, immediate defensive side and begin to give arguments and defend my faith or beliefs, mm-hmm. I would kind of turn the tables for a second and say, well, let me ask you, why are you an atheist? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of nine, <laughs> I would get uh, some answer like, well, because religion is full of fairy tales, or et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, I, and I would say, okay, well, time out. Let, let's, 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 pretend, let, let's take one of their responses. Like one person said, well, I believe in science. I said, okay, well, so do I, but I'm a Christian. So I don't see how that proves God does not exist. Well, religion just wants you for your money. I said, okay, that, that may be true in some instances, for some religions, yeah. but how does that prove, therefore, God does not exist? Well, I believe in science and psychology and history, and I said, well, time out. Now you're just naming disciplines. I still want a positive reason for why you believe God does not exist. And again, rarely do I get answers. Uh, and instead, I would just get attacks on the Bible, on Christianity, on my character, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when I, in seeing this pattern, I thought to myself, a lot of atheists that I've engaged with really don't know the arguments for God's existence, mm-hmm. and they don't have any reasons for why they believe what they do. <clears throat> While most apologetic books are a defense of Christianity and theism, 
I thought to myself, I'd love to write a book, not necessarily per se defending Christianity or God, but taking a backdoor approach and saying, let's look at atheism. Um, if, as an atheist, when we look at what's called epistemology, which is a, a field of philosophy, it's how we come to beliefs and how we know things, there are things what are called epistemic chains. So sometimes belief A implies B, and if you believe mm -hmm. A, then you have to believe B, and then B implies C. And So if you believe A, you have to believe both B and C, because that's what it logically leads to. Right. So I thought to myself, well, if atheism is true, then this would imply B and C. But then in, in epistemology, you also have a, a, a really interesting formula, if you will, that shows that if A implies B, but if B is not true, then it would follow that A cannot be true either. Mm -hmm. um, so to give a quick, a quick example, let's suppose that I believe, uh, let's say today is uh, Friday, and I believe that everything that people say on Friday is a lie. So I go to work, and someone says, hey, how's it going, Eric? You look great today. And I think, well, today's Friday, so they must be lying. <laughs> but, then I, but then the next person says, hey, Eric, uh, how's it going? Uh, why do you look so glim? Cheer up. After all, it's Friday. Now, when that person said it's Friday, if my belief is everything people say mm -hmm. on Friday is a lie, and this person just told me it's Friday, well, I know that's true, which means my beliefs now have conflict. Mm -hmm. that yeah. it, it, it becomes self-defeating, so I have to give up or change my belief. Yeah. That being said, my book is a look at atheism and saying, okay, if atheism is true, here's what we have. Uh, yeah. All you have is naturalistic evolution, physical things, interacting with physical things. What do you get? Mm -hmm. um, one of my arguments is for the argument on consciousness, and it's basically in a nutshell that if consciousness exists and it's not physical. Well, I've used this argument with atheists, and I start by saying, you're an atheist, correct? They say yes. Okay. So would you agree that if there is no God and atheism is true, then we have no reason to believe that non-physical things exist, you know, like fairies, angels, anything immaterial, nothing like that. They say, right. All physical, yes, okay. All the way down, just purely physical things. I said, okay, so if atheism is true, then only physical things should exist. However, if I can show that something non-physical exists, would it not therefore prove that atheism cannot be true? And they say, yeah, sure. But what's, what exists is not physical. I said, oh, well, well glad you asked. And, <laughs> and just to, 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 to not get into it, basically I, I demonstrate how if consciousness exists, it's not physical because the properties of the mind are not the same as the properties of the brain. Mm -hmm. That is to say, there are things true of my mind that are not true of my brain. For example, my thoughts, which are in my mind, can be true or false, but no region of my brain is true or false. Um, my, my thought that uh, it's a beautiful day does not weigh three pounds, but my brain weighs three pounds. Mm -hmm. So it would follow that if my mind is not my brain and it's not physical, then consciousness, if it exists, which it obviously does, is not physical, and if you now have the existence of something non-physical, then it would follow that atheism cannot be true. Yeah. No, this <laughs> good, good, good line of logic there. It is. That was good. <laughs> yeah. No, I think. I think. No, I, I was following you completely. But I think this is like the, the whole. Well, Steve has asked me multiple times, like, what is consciousness or what is the essence of existence, mm. and like these huge questions, like. I mean, they'll take you for a whirlwind, man. Like, when you just begin to truly think about it, it'll really challenge... And they're solid questions that we as Christians should have an answer to. Yeah, and, and, that, and that brings me to a, another point that I wanted, before we dive into one of the arguments that I wanted to present for our listeners today, is that I think atheism has really done a good job in the sense of really 
taking this notion that um, philosophy belongs to atheism, mm. science belongs to atheism, like logic ha- uh, belongs to atheism, reason belongs to, like, I mean, you even have their, their rally, which is called the Reason Rally. Right. Um, and so they, 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 they have this, like, very exclusive claim, like, it's only us, and, and we're anti-religious, because, I mean, in, in, even whenever it comes down to, to them, religion is a very, or the term religious is a very loaded term, and, and I mean, I found... I mean, everybody's religious in essence. I mean, you. I, I was listening to David Silverman. I was talking to Eric about this um, yesterday before the podcast. I was saying that I was I was um, listening to David Silverman and another atheist, and, mm. and they were going back and forth talking about what different thoughts atheism have, and they were mentioning something called firebrand atheism and and another sect of atheism that is very spir- spiritual and stuff, and how they didn't disagree with them. And I thought, look at these guys and their denominations. Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, they like they have their they have denom- a belief system. Yeah, they 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 have their genesis, which is the origins of species. I mean, I've always said we should create a a book or the atheist Bible that had you know Lawrence Krauss's uh, um, a universe from nothing and and the origins of species. But I mean, you know, they have their prophets they have their dogma they have their belief but um no eric i just i I wanted you to um to just talk about that for a minute uh, because that's really gonna hit into the topic that we're going to be speaking today of of the whole concept of metaphysics and science uh um that you know christianity can't really um reconcile um any sort of science or philosophy and and and, and, and science and philosophy belong to atheism and i i would like for you to, to talk for that for for a moment for our listeners and and uh just before we jump into one of the arguments that we're going to be discussing today for the existence of god oh absolutely yeah um so uh, one one piece of advice for anyone listening is that whenever atheists throw these quote objections at you, I, I think the first thing to do would be to allow them to bear the burden of proof. So, for example, as you said, if someone says, "Well, Christianity can't reconcile science; it belongs to atheism," mm-hmm. well, no, that's not an argument. That's a statement. That's an assertion. Mm. So, if someone were to tell me that, or, or if someone were to say that in general, what I find is Christians are quick to jump on the bandwagon and begin to give a response where my tactic is to say, um, okay, why, why, as Greg Kokel (laughs) in his book Tactics says, how did you come to that conclusion? Uh, Or I would say, uh, okay, could you elaborate why, why that's the case? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, You know, well, 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 you know, science, you know, most atheists are scientists or something like that. Most (laughs) scientists are atheists or whatever the case. I say, uh, okay. Well, no, that's not necessarily the case. It's about 50-50. There might be a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say uh, uh, go on. Like, like go ahead and finish the argument because so far I've, I've just heard an assertion and an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what you said, interestingly, was that uh, they have these reason rallies, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in, in my book, that's the very thing I'm trying to get at is to show that a lot of things that atheists want to claim hold to are not possible in their own worldview. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, in one of my chapters of my book, I, uh, I, I talk about the issue of free will. And one very popular title that atheists like to attribute to themselves, uh, they call themselves the free thinkers, which I find very <laughs> ironic. Because, and what they mean by that is they mean that they are not brainwashed by religion and they are free to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. But in my book, I argue that if there is no soul and if you're all just physical, a physical machine, Mm -hmm. then there can be no free will. And I'll set aside the unpacking of that argument, but towards the end of the chapter, I basically say, so if you're an atheist and you deny the soul, 
then the last thing you can literally call yourself is a free thinker because none of your thoughts could ever be free on atheism. Mm -hmm. So the the very irony behind them claiming reason and, and freedom is that on atheism there can be no rationality and there can be no freedom. And thus, if you're an atheist, you cannot be a free thinker, nor by default can you be reasonable if there is no God. Which is why my book title is... <laughs> it's a great title. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. It's called Why I'm Not an Atheist. And the subtitle is An Analysis of the Self-Defeating, Irrational, <laughs> Philosophically Inconsistent, Logically Incoherent, Unjustified Atheistic Worldview. <laughs> that's like a Puritan book. It title. is. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's like Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, that's like John, that's like John Owen. Or, yeah, that's funny. Um, no, I, I, when I first heard the title a year ago, I was like, that's an inflammatory title that's going to stir some <laughs> some controversy on the opposite end. Um, yeah, man. They're, uh, like one atheist said, those are fighting words. Uh, mm -hmm. David yeah. Smalley invited David Smalley. me on his show because he really liked the title and he invited me to mm -hmm. talk about my book and he said you can come on my show you uh attack atheism and i'll defend it you know usually i, I attack the christian they defend their beliefs mm -hmm. you come on your on my show talk about your book attack atheism i'll defend it uh needless to say uh, <laughs> um the show was taken down about a month later uh, really? i won't say why but okay. um yeah but we agreed to that if I did the show, he would give me a copy of the show. So I, we now have it up on our website, on our mm. YouTube channel, and I encourage everybody to listen to it. It's That's called cool. uh, Texas Preacher versus David Smalley. Texas. What he called me, Texas Preacher. Texas Preacher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was, it, was a, it was a great show. Um, I was able to talk about the book and some of the things I discussed uh, that we briefly discussed just now. So oh, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. it was great. I'll link up for the, uh, for the listeners that, that podcast or, or your debate with Somali. Um, no, I, I think the the one thing with Eric that I really appreciated is he's very quick on his responses. <laughs> Eric, you, you you respond very quick and very sound and logical, and uh, and I I can just tell where, where it's quite intimidating for the atheist. I, I and this is another thing too is that I I think not a lot of atheists have encountered um, true Christians who actually study science and philosophy and who engage in debate mm. and when they do it kind of takes them like by surprise like oh snap i've, yeah. I've never really uh encountered this before I, I i don't know how to handle this um and you, me and uh steve were actually watching sam harris the sam harris and william lane craig debate and even sam harris is like this william lane craig is is the guy that strikes fear into my colleagues um yeah. and then you even have as well um christopher hitchens who before the debate with william lane craig said that he had a lot of his colleagues or un the unbelieving community come up to us to him and say you know don't don't make us look dumb mm. like represent us yeah. well and so you yeah, yeah. I, whenever a, 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 just because I, and I say this because even in high school I was just so I, I had the majority of my friends were atheists and so they would make fun of me because I was a Christian or a theist I didn't really know how to defend my faith but uh, when, when encountering some of these heavy hitting philosophers like John Frame and William Lane Craig and uh, I mean Alvin Platinga is another one who's just like incredible oh yeah uh, J.P. Moreland I mean you start listening to these guys uh, John Lennox who we saw me and um, me and Eric went to go see John Lennox at uh, uh, in, in Houston, and you know you see these guys, and they're brilliant minds, man. I mean, brilliant, absolutely. And and they have sound, logical, reasoned um, answers. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 so, and this is another thing that that I want to say is I remember for a while I used to think. I kind of was brainwashed in the sense that I thought, yeah, maybe believing God is this just crazy delusion, and I'm just 
just dumb, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and that's been the case for many people who have, you know, left the faith or, 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 or kind of struggling at this, at this moment. But, um, but yeah, no, going back to also that your, 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 your chapter on free will, on the whole free thinking stuff. I'm looking at, and I'll tag this on the description below, but, I mean, you even have Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins in a video saying that free will is an illusion. Um, I, I guess if you could talk yeah. uh, talk about that for a minute, I mean, what are the ramifications for that? Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to, um, like, rape, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, how, how are you going to, as, as an atheist, I mean, how do you, how can you punish that? Like, how do you, it's just kind of man's... You know, urges and yeah, it's determined. I mean, he he's just merely going off of his emotions and feelings and his brain fizz. Um, Can you talk about that for a moment, Eric? Before finally we jump into the chapter. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, usually, uh, and so funny. I was at a Christmas party one time, and uh, I was uh, uh, for some reason everybody always wants to talk to me about God and apologetics, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Joking, of course. It just always comes up, and of course, I'm sure I'm the one that brings it up. Um, and, And I don't know how it started, but I was discussing with this guy who was professing atheist. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he actually brought up, you know, he said he was studying some areas, and he said one of the areas he was studying was free will. And he says that he's come to the belief that there is no free will. And I said, that's well. interesting. I said, and, and, and how did you come to that conclusion? He goes, well, I studied, I did this, and looked at this, <laughs> and neuroscience, et cetera, et I said, so you, you did it all on your own? He said, yeah, absolutely. You studied that by yourself. Yeah, no one forced you. I said, yeah. I said, so you believe there's no free will? He said, right. I said, did you freely come to believe that? And he paused for a second. Uh-oh. And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, so it sounds to me like you're telling me that you freely came to believe in the conclusion that there is no free will. Is that right? He said, well, yeah, well, well, no, well, and he just paused. And I said, let me ask you another question, <laughs> which is what you just brought up. I said, if there is no free will, I said, why should we punish people who commit crimes yeah. if they were just determined to do it? I said, uh, here, here's an illustration really quick that I use in my book. Suppose um, I, I murder someone with a gun. <clears throat> now, technically speaking, the bullet penetrated the guy's heart and, and killed him. But we don't blame the bullet. Why? Because we assume that the bullet was not the first mover of its actions. Well, no, it was shot by the gun. Okay, why don't we blame the gun? Well, because the gun itself wasn't also a first mover. It was caused by the hitting of the hammer. Okay, and what, what made the hammer uh, fire? Mm. Well, by the pulling of the trigger. Okay, what made the trigger pull? My finger. Okay, time out. Now, if mm. atheism is true, then you have what's called the law of causal closure, which is to say that every physical event must have a physical cause. Mm-hmm. Well, if the bullet was shot by the gun, the gun was shot by the pulling of the trigger, then what caused me? Well, if there is no soul and you cannot transcend the physical, then you have to keep going down like a line of dominoes. And if, and if there is no free will on atheism, then you, if you don't stop and blame the bullet or the gun, then you cannot blame the murderer because he, too, was just another domino in a line of events, in a chain yeah. of events. So you have to keep going back, which is to say that we cannot blame murderers, rapists, or criminals for what they do if they are just like a bullet and gun, purely mm-hmm. physical objects acting and reacting to the laws of physics and chemistry, mm-hmm. and it's just a line of dominoes going down all the way. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's and that's a that's a solid argument right that's there. Very good point. Yeah, very good. And that's and that's an, this is another thing that I want to say. Not not all atheism, all, all atheists are determined determinists. Um, uh, and that's the, what we're talking about here. And that that is what uh, Lawrence Krauss and Dawkins, I believe, Dennett too. Uh, I think Sam Harris as well. If I'm not 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, are they're uh, determinists. So they, they do believe free will is an yeah. illusion. Um, but I know someone. Yeah, like, and if like, I can say one more, yeah, one go, more thing go ahead. for that, actually. Um, well, the uh, the also funny thing too is here is that if you cannot take rational responsibility for anything you believe, and if all your beliefs are determined, then you have no way of knowing whether or not your beliefs are true. Hmm. So, for yeah. example, let's say Nathan says, "Well, I can test my beliefs." I said, okay, please elaborate. I can go into the laboratory and I can test my beliefs. And then after the conclusion of my test, I can find whether or not my beliefs are true. Mm-hmm. I said, well, time out. You're just pushing back the goalposts. Well, mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, if all your beliefs are determined, then it would equally follow that your very beliefs, that your beliefs are true, is equally something you were determined to do and believe and you're back to the same problem. <laughs> so you have no way of knowing which of your beliefs are true. And if you cannot trust that any of your beliefs are true, then yeah. why should I believe you when your beliefs tells me that there is no God? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a sound argument, and, and you got to deal with that. The, the atheist is going to have oh, yeah. to deal with that. Um, so, all right. So let's let's jump into chapter five. Uh, as we we're preparing for this podcast, Eric sent me like a ton of chapters of his book. I think I have the whole book on 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 PDF on, on, by email. Yeah, um, and I would love to go through all of them. I actually didn't read all of them, but I I did read chapter five, which is the Kalam cosmological argument, um, and it's chapter five in the beginning. And uh, I guess whenever this book is finally published, man, um, we'll be doing a whole podcast, or maybe we'll do like a series or something on it. I would really like to do it. But let's um let's go into the uh yeah because so so we're me and uh, Eric affirm first and foremost that there is a God, and so like Eric was saying at the beginning in his with his philosophy professor that we have the burden of proof. And so today, what we're going to be doing is providing an argument, or Eric is that is uh, in uh, the Kalam. Co- cosmological argument and so where should we begin with this eric with this with this argument yeah well, well first i'd say so that i'm still writing the book so mm-hmm. everyone listening please keep in your prayers mm-hmm. lots of stuff has come up recently that has kind of slowed down the progress but sh- slowly but surely uh i'm pushing through i'm, I'm writing so so please keep in your prayers mm-hmm. um yeah so the uh so as i said earlier anyone who makes a truth claim bears a burden of proof but you mm-hmm. say there is a god you bear a burden. If you say there is no God, you bear a burden. One of my favorite arguments for the existence of God is, as you said, known as the Kalam cosmological argument, or mm-hmm. you can just call it the cosmological argument mm-hmm. for short. And it, it's a very simple argument. You can you can um, give it to an atheist in, in 30 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. And I love to do this when I'm out or, you know, I, I like to imagine, I believe it was Greg Coco said, imagine you're in a taxi cab or maybe Mike Lacona. Imagine you're in a taxi cab and you have about, a few minutes with someone in a taxi cab, they're an atheist, what, what would you give them? So the Kalam, Kalam, Kalam cosmological argument is three premises. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's three sentences, two, uh, two premises that lead to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very simple. Premise one is everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. Conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause. Mm. Now, and talking with an atheist, I usually like to walk them through it and say, would you agree that everything that begins to exist has a cause? And nine times out of ten, yeah, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay, mm-hmm. good, because if you deny that, then you are tearing down the very, uh, um, the very uh, what drives science is looking for causes. So everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay, premise two, the universe began to exist. Mm-hmm. Now, based on modern cosmology, we know this to be the case. Mm-hmm. Now, call it what you want. Uh, to the Christian listeners, don't get bogged up on what they call it. 
They call it the Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, the universe began to exist. And they say, yes, okay. Then the conclusion is that, therefore, the universe had a cause. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, let's unpack what the attributes of this cause must have been. Mm -hmm. Now, at the inception of the universe, that is to say the beginning of the universe, you had three things come into existence that began, that did not exist uh, uh, without the universe's beginning. And that was time, space, and matter. Uh, uh, and to put it differently, based on modern science, we know that time, space, and matter had a beginning. Now, yeah. by default, whatever causes time, space, and matter has to be outside of time, space, and matter, mm-hmm. which is to say that the cause of this of the beginning of the universe was necessarily timeless, spaceless, mm-hmm. and immaterial. So automatically, we have the existence of a first cause that is timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Uh Now, let's push it a little bit further. Now, if this entity, this being, created something out of absolutely nothing, then you have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, unimaginably powerful being. Mm -hmm. Let's go another step. This being had to make a decision to create something out of nothing. And we know that persons, that something personal makes decisions. Mm -hmm. So now you have a timeless, spaceless, unimaginably powerful, um, immaterial, personal being, which mm-hmm. is exactly, which are the, exactly the attributes that we ascribe to God. Uh-huh. So if the universe had a beginning, it would follow that therefore God exists. Yeah. And the beginning, this is something that I found very, very interesting. I've always knew it. Um, I, I, it wasn't until this chapter that it kind of cleared up some, some things, but you know, you, you said that your professor, and this just goes along with the argument guys, but um, he told you, you know, you're rather going to ignore the truth, right? Uh, or you're going to acknowledge reality. And you wrote here in your book, I, I, do you mind if I read it? Oh, no, 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 go ahead. Okay, but you said, uh, for a long time, atheists believed the universe was eternal and stretched indefinitely into the past. Uh, let me let me see here. And so we, we have Fred uh, Fred Hoyle, who's an astronomer, and he was the one, I, I believe, who coined the term Big Bang. Am I, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, and so, and then you have the uh, the, the John Maddox, and, and, and Maddox expressed, expressed, this is in your book, Maddox expressed that the scientific community should resist this Big Bang theory and was concerned that it gave too much leverage to the people who believed in creation in the Bible. Uh, can you you flesh that out and how originally it was a Catholic priest who first sort of coined this this idea of the Big Bang or that there, that there, that there was a beginning and that you have atheists here um, actually ignoring the truth of reality that the universe did have a cause or it had a beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something I got from John Lennox that he often said, uh, gives in his, in his lectures. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the uh, sentiment behind this is basically you hear a lot of times that atheists say that uh, religion is against science, or more mm-hmm. specifically, Christianity is against science. And they like to use examples of the Galileo thing where they, you know, uh, there was a big issue and, and, you know, well, it was religion versus science. And it really wasn't religion versus science. It was two scientific theories competing against each other, mm-hmm. and the church held to a certain specific scientific theory yeah. that uh, this new guy here was, was going against. Mm-hmm. Setting that aside, when you look at history, you don't find Christianity being against science, and, and I would Not even say all. to this day you don't find Christianity being against science. I'm sure there might be some people who are, uh, for lack of a better word, ignorant mm-hmm. and uh, don't know what they're talking about, which we really shouldn't give those people platforms. Yeah. Um, but we look and we, we see that, uh, first of all, science flourished uh, in a certain part of the world where there was a fundamental belief that the universe is rationally intelligible. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is to say that we as human beings with with intellectual rational minds are capable of decoding the rationality behind the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, what drove this belief that there was rationality to be found in the universe? Mm-hmm. It was the belief that there was a God, a rational, infinite mind, God, who created the universe. Yeah. So what's interesting is when you look in the history of science, you find in certain parts of the world, like in the East, science was not flourishing. It was in the West where mm-hmm. there was this fundamental belief that God created the universe. And it was because of that, based on that belief, that science began and flourished because you had believers in God, Christians looking for uh, um, pattern, uh-huh. uh, rationality, information within the universe because they believe the universe came from a mind. Yeah. Now, this is not something you're going that I necessarily read in a Christian book. This is something even men like Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins would admit to. Yeah. Now, of course, someone like Lawrence Krauss would say, "Oh, yeah, okay, yes, sure." Uh, uh, Christians, yes, the believers in God, they started science, and they and he says, okay, thank you, now get out of our way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but he misses the very point that it was because of this belief yeah. that, that, that this, this flourishing of science came from. Mm-hmm. Now, to what you were saying, is that it was the belief that there was a God, and, and more specifically, it was showing that these Christians were the ones that began to to push and give rise to science Mm -hmm. and the irony is that it was not the christians who were fighting against modern findings in science it was the atheists who did not want to believe this because they said no look if we believe that the universe had a beginning then we're going to give way too much credit to in the beginning yeah (laughs) so there were so many theories and to this day there are still theories that and there are still atheists who believe, no, the universe is past eternal. The universe mm. has always existed. Yeah. And, and, well, and I think one of the big reasons they want to push this is because it avoids the conclusion the universe had a beginning, because if the universe had a beginning, then God exists. Yeah. Now, why? What, what would be a response to someone who says, no, the universe is past eternal? Well, there's a few. First, with science, modern cosmology shows us that there are certain principles and laws of nature that would... Mm-hmm give us, lead us to the conclusion that the universe cannot be eternal. One is uh, uh, entropy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the law of thermodynamics. Well, the law of thermodynamics says that, en- that energy is, is, is constantly being used up. Mm-hmm. And the universe has a certain limited amount of usable energy. Uh, for example, if you put gas in your car and the next day you see that uh, it's still pretty full, then you know that no one overnight got inside and drove it around town, unless, of course, they put gas in it, but then, you know, that, that'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. Point being, though, if you put gas in your car and it still has it, no one's touched it, mm-hmm. then you know that it, it, it hasn't been driving around your whole block. Yeah. Why? Because it has a limited amount of energy. By the same token, the universe is still running. Mm-hmm. It's still spending. Um, as someone said, if the universe is winding down, then someone, someone must have wound it up. Mm-hmm. Now, if the universe was past eternal, that is to say, if it's always been here, mm-hmm. then it would have ran out of energy long before today. Well, we're here today, and it has not run out of energy, mm-hmm. usable energy, which would follow that, therefore, it is not past eternal. It had a beginning. Yeah. Um, philosophically speaking, it, 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 you, cannot, it, you cannot cross infinity. What does that mean? Suppose I asked you to count to infinity. How long would it take you to count and to reach infinity? Well, it, you could never reach it. Why? Because you cannot cross infinity. You yeah. can't go from one and then keep counting because you'll never reach infinity. So uh-huh. it's a potential infinity. It's not an actual infinity. Mm-hmm. Well, by the same token, 
why are we here today? Well, because yesterday ended, okay? Well, why did yesterday end? Because the day before that ended. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, well, if you keep going back and there is no beginning, then you'll never reach today. Yeah. Why? Because think of a line of dominoes. Why did the 100 domino fall? Because domino 99 mm -hmm. fell. Yeah. And if you keep going back and you never have a first domino that fell, you'll never have the 100th domino falling. Yeah. But if the 100th domino fell, then you know somewhere down the line there was a first domino to fall. Mm -hmm. um, J.P. Morland gives a great illustration of saying that if the universe is past eternal, then it would be like trying to jump out of a well that is infinitely tall. You, you can't do it. <laughs> but even worse, if it's past eternal with no beginning, then it's like trying to jump out of an infinitely tall well that has no bottom. Mm -hmm. Not only could you never do it, you can't even get started to try. Yeah, yeah. This is another thing, coming back to the whole concept of some atheist, um, you know, saying that the universe is eternal. And they always like to, for us, well, they like to use that infinite regress argument for us when, when it comes to the existence of God. And I like Rush Dooney's uh, inescapable concept that's defined as not whether but which. And I, it's a really good tool to use during debates, uh, I, I have found, or just engagement with atheists. But it's not... Um, uh, that that I believe in something eternal, or or, or but but it's whether um, no, it's not whether I believe in something is eternal, but which is eternal, and so what that means is 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 you, you of course some, somebody has to believe that something is eternal, infinite, um, and and you'll find the the atheists as well believing in these things, but attributing attributing uh, eternality to rather matter or energy or the universe. And they, they can't. Uh, yeah. They can't really e evade this this question. And then this this. I, I don't know if you had anything to say on that, but this also points me to also them redefining. As I've read Lawrence Krauss's book, The uh, A Universe from Nothing, but then he goes on to redefine nothing as something. And this is something that you address in in chapter five as well. Um, and and I, I would like for you to talk about that uh, for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Some atheists want to deny the beginning of the universe and, and, or want to deny how the universe came into existence. Um, and as you said, some atheists will argue that the universe just popped out of nothing. And as Lawrence Krauss does, they want to redefine what nothing uh, means. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there was something else. What did you, what did you ask before that? Um, the, the eternal uh, the, nature of uh, right. some atheists believe in, that it's not whether I believe in something eternal, but, um, uh, was it not whether, but, but which but which is eternal. Yeah, it's, it's not whether right. I believe something is eternal, but which is eternal. Everybody's going to have to believe in something that's etern uh, eternal or attribute it um, attributes or characteristics of God to rather, to something. Um, and yeah, I wanted you to right. talk about that. Yes, absolutely. So, so this goes uh, into my chapter four, which is before the Kalam, which is the argument from contingency. Mm -hmm. And in a nutshell, it's basically that uh, everything that exists uh, is going to be either necessary or contingent. Mm -hmm. What that means is that, for example, let's take uh, uh, truth claims or, or just facts of reality. So two plus two equals four. That's a necessary truth, which mm -hmm. means whether I go um, to Africa or to the other part of the universe, two plus two is going to equal four no matter where I'm at because that is a necessary truth. Mm -hmm. um, which means it's not as if one day in a hundred years scientists would discover that two plus two does not equal four or that a thousand years ago two plus two did not equal four. This is a necessary truth. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with something contingent. Something contingent is a truth or fact of reality that did not have to be true necessarily. 
So, for example, my existence, I exist, but I am not necessary, which means my parents could have uh, consummated on a different day of the week or uh, uh, something of that nature, and I would not have existed, which means mm -hmm. we could imagine a world in which I don't exist, but we cannot imagine a world in which two plus two does not equal four because that is a necessary truth. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, if the universe is contingent, then you have to explain that by something else. And if you just keep going to contingent things, you have not finished your explanation until you reach something necessary. Mm -hmm. So as you said, God would be the necessary being which gave existence to everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, and if this being is necessary, then it, this being is also eternal. So you have a necessary eternal being. Now, if the atheist wants to say that the universe is eternal or necessary, you would have to say, okay, why do you think that? Because surely... It, there's nothing necessary about, uh, uh, there, there are, let's say a few, there's thousands of blades of grasses in my front yard, mm -hmm. but there could have been one left. So there's nothing necessary about that, which is to say there is nothing necessary about this universe existing. Mm -hmm. And if it's not necessary, then it could not have been eternal. And you can add that and stack that on top of the arguments I have already given for why the universe had a beginning and could not have been infinite and eternal into the past. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And also, too, you in, the, in Chapter 5, you mentioned that some, some atheists will try to evade the question and say, well, um, you know, well, there's a multi-universe theory, um, and that's kind of like our answer to it. Um, how is that fallacious reasoning um, w a as an objection to the, uh, the cosmological argument? Yeah, and before I go there, because you mentioned also uh, um, coming from nothing. Oh, yeah, so, no, so no, please, Krauss, please ask. Yeah, that one's good. <laughs> so Lawrence Krauss writes an entire book on how the universe came from nothing. But then when you ask him what nothing is, he defines it. He says, I mean, he literally says nothing has weight, it yeah. has mass. And then you're like, well, time out. You're not talking about nothing, you're talking about something. Yeah. And, and even men like Matt Dillahunty say, well, we don't know what nothing is because we've never seen it. And I'm thinking to myself, how do, you, how do you not know what nothing is, and why do you have to see it? Nothing is the absence of everything. Yeah. So it, it would be like saying, I've heard Craig use this example, it would be like someone saying, hey, so uh, what did you have for lunch? Uh -huh. And someone says, oh, I had nothing for lunch. And they say, oh, that's awesome. What did it taste like? Was it good? Uh, did yeah. it fill you up? You're like, no, no, I, I did not have anything, anything. for lunch. Yeah. Right, there, I had no thing, the absence of everything. Yeah. So to say that the universe came from nothing, and then to redefine nothing as something, yeah. you are not only being logically contradictory, mm -hmm. but now you're just reaching far into yeah. who knows what kind of la-la land to try to avoid the conclusion that God exists, which is special pleading, it's ad hoc, it's question-begging, and it's logically fallacious. Yeah. And there's another thing, before we go into the last point that I was talking to, the multiverse theory, there's something else in, in the whole concept of, of quantum mechanics that Lawrence talks about, and and uh, he, he's talking about that, like, that virtual particles can pop into existence uncaused and out of nothing. Um, and, and so if you could talk about that for a moment, because that could definitely take a, a Christian off guard, but uh, there's also a way in which they define this sort of uh, quantum mechanic process of particles coming in and out. Uh, can you talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. So, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there's like a, a kind of like ongoing joke in, in apologetics that, 
anytime an atheist doesn't know how to answer something, they just say quantum mechanics. They just pull that card, <laughs> quantum mechanic card. Yeah. Dude, like it's, it's their ace in the hole. It's a joker. You know, they just win automatically. Right. And I've re- um, again, I just I, I've read the book A Universe from Nothing, and it was a quite quite a couple of years back before we jump into to you answering this. Sorry to, to interrupt, but I remember even like I was I think I was just in the preface of it, and I was already like, really? Like he's defining he's re- literally just redefining what nothing is. Like, um, it's just interesting, man. And, and again, this goes back to you know Christians need to be aware to discern this sort of stuff. Um, they're redefining terms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A few things they'll say, which which you can, if you have ears and eyes to detect this, uh, which is what the Bible tells us to do, mm-hmm. you can easily discern, like you said, what what what's going on, what kind of bait and switch is happening. Mm-hmm. So, for example, atheists will say, well, there are quantum particles that pop in and out of existence for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. And if that could happen, then the universe can pop into existence for no reason at all. And I say, well, time out. First of all, what they're saying essentially is, these mysterious things happen and we don't know how or why but no that's not the argument the argument yeah. is not saying we don't know why the universe came into existence that that's a teleological uh, a, mm-hmm. a reason a goal a purpose well, that's not what the argument is getting at the argument is simply getting at the universe had a beginning and therefore had a cause uh-huh. so the first response would be even if we don't know why or how these particles pop into existence our ignorance of how does not conclude that therefore no cause it simply says we don't know the cause mm-hmm. so arguing from ignorance is not an argument at all for example i could say i could pick my phone up and call my sister in austin and i'm in houston or someone across the world i may not know how it works or why it works but i know that it works so saying we don't know how or why these particles pop into existence and out for no reason we don't mm-hmm. know is not to say that there is not a cause behind it so that that's the first thing to say yeah secondly they would say well they pop sometimes they'll say well it pops out of out of this nothing okay well what is this nothing oh it, it's a it's a quantum fluctuation of energy <laughs> okay so time out <laughs> this nothing is yeah. actually a vacuum of fluctuating energy yes yeah. okay then how is that nothing yeah well then you're just gonna have to redefine nothing well then if we're gonna yeah. redefine terms then i mean gosh if if we're going to reinterpret and redefine every word, then when they tell me there is no God because of X, I say, oh, I did not know you were such a devoted Christian. What church do you go to? And they say, no, I'm an atheist. Oh, so you really believe in God and you love him with all your heart? No, I'm an atheist. Right. Point is, if I just redefine and reinterpret everything you say to mean something else, yeah. we can't go anywhere. There's no discussion. Um, one interesting thing is that there is another um, uh, uh physicist because that's what lauren krauss is a physicist uh one of his colleagues actually mocks him and says like dude what are you talking about and what he he gives this analogy of these quantum particles popping in and out of existence he says that's like saying i have five fingers and when i make a fist when i close them i can make a fist and when i open them i can it's no longer a fist so Mm -hmm. i have quote a fist popping in and out of existence. <laughs> but first of all, that's not out of nothing, and all that is is a different reaction. Wow. So you can't say that the universe uh, could have came from a fluctuating sea of energy. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, you know, you, you're not starting with nothing, you're starting with something, yeah. and even if we can't explain how or why, it does not follow that it did not have a cause. Hmm. Um, so if you want nothing, you have to start with literally the absence of everything. Yeah. Uh, and I heard a joke once, of, uh, of these atheists, you know, they, they come to God or these scientists come to God and say, we don't need you. We can create life ourselves. Mm-hmm. And God says, oh, that, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, let me see how you do it. They say, sure. And they reach down to the ground and they grab some dirt 
and they start molding it, and, and God says, wait, wait, time out, time out. Uh, get your own dirt. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, they're not starting with nothing. They're starting with something, something. already there. Mm. And if you're starting That's with good. something already there, then the universe had to come from something and had a cause. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff, man. Okay, so let's tackle that, mul- that multiverse theory, um, which is yeah, literally so, just moving the goalpost. <laughs> absolutely. So what some atheists will do is they'll say, well, um, <clears throat> the universe... Uh, so I was on Facebook one time, and... Uh, um, <laughs> I watched this video and it was it was a slightly viral video and it was a video of an alleged alleged uh, leaked FBI footage of an alien interview you know and you know big stuff and uh, I personally I don't believe in aliens I've got my own reasons for that mm-hmm. uh, I mean this life is so improbable yeah, in sure. fact the SETI project the search for extraterrestrial intelligence was actually founded by an atheist and I know Carl Sagan ran it and the universe was funding millions of dollars into finding intelligent life in our universe and uh a few years ago not too long ago relatively speaking the you know the the government stopped funding this project why because when science began to show us how improbable and how hard it is for life to exist they literally said it's virtually impossible first of all that life exists at all Mm -hmm. so something had to happen here and if something had to happen here then we have no reason to believe it had it happened anywhere else Mm -hmm. so the government actually stopped funding that project Mm-hmm. Now, um, going back to this Facebook video, it was this alien allegedly. Uh, they were interviewing this alien that they quote captured Area Fifty One or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I push play because a few people sent it to me. And of course, <laughs> the alien starts. You know, the guy in the FBI alleged a, uh, agent starts asking questions about just you know uh, 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 truth, reality, and stuff like that. And he tells the alien, uh, you know, well, you're more much more advanced than us. Where did the universe come from? You know, do you believe in God? And the alien's like, no, we've advanced the technology and science. We don't need to believe in God. No one believes in God anymore. That, that's something in the museums that, you know, our museums, those are relics of the Bible, Christianity, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, then where did the universe come from if God didn't create it? In the universe? And the alien says, well, we're just one universe out of infinite number of universes Mm -hmm. we're just one in millions and millions of universes and then he keeps going i said and i thought to myself (laughs) that announcer alien (laughs) (laughs) right mr alien first of all if you're so intellectual and you're from the future wherever you should take a 101 class in philosophy and logic because you didn't answer the question (laughs) even if the universe is just one out of a million it still does not answer the question of whether or not the universe began and we know that it began so even if you have this, quote, mother pregnant universe that's just popping baby universes every mm-hmm. second, you're just pushing back the goalposts, like you said, because now you have to ask the question, okay, where did this multi-universe generator come from, and yeah. did it have a beginning? And if the law of entropy stands, which it does, then, hey, it, it it's running out of energy, and if it's <laughs> still going, then it had a beginning. Yeah. So... Uh, appealing to the multiverse does nothing at all for the atheist. I think it makes it worse. And I believe worse. it was John Lennox. Oh, absolutely. I believe it was John Lennox who said something to the extent of, so to get rid of the existence of one God, you have to posit an infinite number of other universes. And millions and millions of other universes just <laughs> yeah. to get rid of one God, which yeah. doesn't even do the job. No, it doesn't do the job at all. Um, man, that's that's good stuff, man. I, and, you know, this is something... Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure you've experienced this too, Eric, but I mean, I, you look at a telescope out into the universe, and 
it's so massive and huge and unknown. And then if you look in the microscope, it's just the same thing. Looking into a microscope is just as big as looking out into, uh, through a microscope out into the universe. Um, and it's just so complex. I mean, the Bible says, you know, we're, we're wonderfully and beautifully made, and everybody likes to think of that in terms of uh, cosmetics, like we look beautiful. Um, and, and sure, you could take it that way, but, I mean, when I read that passage, it's, to me, it's just pointing to the intricacies and the, the, the beautiful design of, of the world and nature and cells and everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it blows my mind, man, <laughs> just how, how, how complex this world is and, and for someone to say, um, no, there is no God. Um, yeah, it just, it, it takes me for a whirlwind. It, it, it blows my mind because I, I could never, I could never fully go to atheism. Um, and, 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 and I did, I'm sure you have too, you've, you've battled through doubts and, and you've had to work out these things, um, but I just, I just could not come to grips looking at the world, um, and say that there is no God. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go there. Oh, absolutely. Claire's the word of God. Excuse me? Yeah, you kind of broke up there. I, I said the word of God says, you know, the creation, uh, the, 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 the heavens declare the glory of God is his handiwork. Yeah. Yeah, and this is another thing. Before we end today, uh, Eric, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Greek philosophy, because you know, as Romans one says that uh, all of us could, uh, you know, all of us could could know God. Um, his his as we were talking about here, that his uh, the, his invisible attributes and his nature is is clearly perceived, and mm-hmm. and I believe everybody could come to know um, God that there is a God, and I find it fascinating just studying theology. I mean, not theology. Excuse me, philosophy. Philosophy uh, in, in in the Greek sense, um, when you have Thales and, and Socrates and and all these Greek philosophers, it's just interesting how these people um, were just through philosophy uh, were coming to this conclusion of monism and pluralism, and that that, that the universe has to be made out of one essence, and that's kind of how you get the earth, wind, and fire, and and, and earth, and, and they had all these different ideas, but you, you had clearly, through the Greek philosophers, you could see how they were logically and reasoning their way to this one essence, although some of them didn't call God, but in essence what they were pointing to was God. Um, um, and, and then you have also too in, in the Bible, uh, as we've we've said uh, for the Jewish philosopher, um, they started with God, and so they, and right out of Genesis that it doesn't even really make an argument, but it's saying you know in the beginning was God, and and um, and just how you know rather you're starting with God or whether you're 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 an unbeliever and you want to take another route um, into making a, an, an argument for the existence of God, uh, you saw it in in. in in, uh, in the Greek philosophers, and I, I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well, um, and just what you thought. Uh, what, what's the question exactly? Um, just the, the Greek philosophers, them, um, the Greek philosophers, just uh, like uh, Aristotle, uh, Socrates, uh, Thales, some of the early philosophers, how they were um, just through reason and logic and just uh, examining mm-hmm. uh, the reality around them, they were coming to the conclusion of this uh, of, of just concepts like monism, pluralism, um, and in right. and, and, and this concept gotcha. of God in one essence, and how you know you could you could just as Romans one says you could you know you it's clearly perceived you could come to this uh, conclusion. I just kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. No, absolutely. So um, yeah, I, so as I said earlier, uh, you know, in my freshman courses of philosophy, you know, I, I really had that fundamental belief that if you know, all truth is grounded in God in one way mm-hmm. or another, then, you know, everything we come to know and learn about should in some way point back to God. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I encourage atheists and Christians, please, by all means, read, learn, because yeah. everything you read and learn will not get you away from God. If anything, it will point you towards God. Yeah. And, of course, the atheists will have their arguments, but I'd say that's a lot, there's a lot of bad philosophy going on there. Mm-hmm. That's a, another topic for another time. But absolutely, when you just look and just begin to study, uh, you know, we're, we're, I strongly believe that within our being, we have this innate yeah. intuition of something uh, uh, going on. We know the famous, um, you know, watchmaker argument. If you, um, you know, you, you're walking along, along the beach and you see, you know, a, a few rocks, you think nothing of it. But then if you see a watch, you think that there must have been some kind of design behind it. Mm-hmm. You look at archaeology. You know, archaeologists are digging all the time, and they find a few pointy rocks. They think nothing of it. And then they find uh, a, a flint that's an arrow shape and think, ah, oh, there must have been some kind of a hunter around here. Yeah. Now, how in the world do you uh, uh, deduce a hunter from a triangular pointed rock? Mm. Well, because there's a pattern. There's, there's, there's some type of ingenuity behind a simple pointed triangular rock. Yeah. Well, if that's the case... When we look at everything in the universe, uh, our DNA, for example, um, I find it ironic that within the SETI project, which is a search for extraterrestrial life, mm-hmm. they do this by looking for specific patterns and information in any kind of signals because they uh-huh. begin with the assumption that information comes from a mind, mm. which is true. Yes. Well, if we look for information and we know that information uh, comes from a mind, then I don't know why we're looking into our universe for information and intelligence when all we have to do is grab a microscope. And if you look at our DNA, it's crazy. we have 3.5 billion letters in a specific genetic sequence, which gives us the information for who we are, our, our physical bodies, our biological makeup. Yeah. Well, if, if, uh, if, if a few signals from outer space tell us there's intelligent life, then what do 3.5 million... Uh, letters in a genetic sequence tell us about where we come from. <laughs> yeah, obviously a, a design, a, a mind. Yeah. Um, uh, Lennox gives a really interesting illustration. He says, "Suppose I'm with this uh, a scientist, who's an archaeologist, and we're looking uh, uh, through through caves, and this a, this Chinese archaeologist looks and sees these two scratches mm-hmm. on a wall in paint, and says, oh my gosh, somebody was here.' And and Lennox says, "Wait a minute, why?'" Well, because these two scratches here are in a, in a certain mm-hmm. uh, 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 pattern or design, and these are the, the uh, ancient characteristics or hieroglyphics for a human being, yeah. which means someone here, you know, left uh, uh, their mark, if you will. Mm-hmm. And John Lennox says, uh, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, you're the scientist. Okay, sure. But then when they go back to the laboratory and they look at the DNA, and they don't see two scratches. They say mm-hmm. 3.5 billion letters in genetic sequence they think, oh, random chance, evolution. Yeah. And how is it that you look at arrowheads and cave scratchings mm-hmm. and you think intelligence, you look at our DNA and you think atheism, there is no God? Yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Again, it goes back kind of to the multi-universe theory. I think it makes your argument harder. Um, you know, they'll see like, see, look, look, look at the DNA. Um, see, there is no God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I. I don't see how that points. It's, 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 again, it goes back to it, it makes their, the the argument uh, well their belief harder to justify. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, is there anything else, Eric? You want to say we're, we already went a little bit past an hour, and um, I, I wanted just to point listeners to where they could find you at, um, and also your your ministry and what you do, and and also point people maybe around a ballpark range of when your book might be released. <laughs> 
you can find me at uh, on Facebook, Eric Hernandez Ministries. Uh, YouTube, also Eric Hernandez Ministries. Uh, we have a website, erichernandezministries.com. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it's that, that title is because I'm not very creative. Uh, a friend of mine years <laughs> ago was, was working on the website said, what's the name? I said, I have no idea. He goes, Eric Hernandez Ministries? I said, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, yeah, you can find me there. Um, any of those, I have uh, a number of debates and even classes on my YouTube channel. Nice. Uh, one of my most recent was a debate on abortion. I, mm-hmm. I debated a... Uh, a feminist lawyer uh, who is the executive director of um, of a nationwide abortion organization, and uh, it went great. <laughs> yes. It was incredible. Uh, people after I had uh, young ladies afterwards come and tell me that as a result of this event, they had changed their position on abortion and were now pro-life, mm-hmm. which was my goal, you know, to yeah. save future unborn children. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the book, uh, like I said in the earlier, keep me in your prayers. I- I'm in the process of writing. Um, I've got a few more chapters to finish, and then I want to go back and just kind of polish up uh, a few things and have some other eyes, you know, kind of look at it. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm hoping, uh, fingers crossed, God willing, praying, you know, within the next year or so okay. um, to have it done. Um, like I said, God willing. Uh, as some of you know, you know, in Houston we had Harvey happen, and that kind of threw off yep. a lot of things. Um, I have a a six-month-old newborn here at the house, and mm-hmm. that, that was a— uh, such a blessing, unexpected, but such a blessing. Um, uh-huh. I mean, it, it that, that's a whole testimony itself. And uh, I, about a couple of years ago, we had just moved and got a house. So lots of things mm-hmm. have been happening, but at the same time, I see God's hand in all of it. Uh, God has also expanded my platform uh, yeah. through connections like yourself. Uh, not too long ago, I was on William Lane Craig's podcast, Reasonable Faith. You were. Uh, so little things like that, God has been just, uh, just kind of expanding uh uh, my networking and connections and, and makes sense why the book has been delayed a little bit but um, whatever God has in store I'm, I'm down for it yeah yeah, I know when it comes out it's going to be great man I'm going to buy it and we're going to have some on the shelf here <laughs> amen guarantee it um, alright guys so that's that go ahead, that's going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast uh, thank you for tuning in like and share share with your, your atheist friends um, shoot um Eric Hernandez, a email on his website. Contact him if you have any questions. Um, and we'll be back on the next one. Lord the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we will see you on the next podcast. Thank you.